worship team, uh, friends, we are in the season of Advent, and Advent simply means arrival. We await the arrival of Jesus Christ uh, as celebrated in Christmas, but beyond the celebration of Christmas, we also anticipate the day when Christ will return to make all things new. And so the season of Advent is a time of hopeful waiting, a time of anticipation of the day when Christ will come and will heal the world. And one of the things that we are going to be invited into throughout the season of Advent is to pay attention to the ways that God surprisingly shows up. Uh, These are stories of God's surprising presence in the passages of Scripture we're going to be looking at in Advent. And today we're going to begin by focusing on God's surprising presence by focusing on the genealogy of Jesus. Now, admittedly, for people like us in 2022, this is not the best way to start a book. The way that Matthew begins his gospel is not the best way to start a book. When you're opening a book, when you're listening to a sermon for that matter, you want something to engage you, to whet your appetite, to get you going so that you can follow the story. And yet what we find in the gospel of Matthew are a bunch of this person begat that person and that person begat that person. A lot of times people, when they don't read the Bible, they say, I don't read the Bible because it's boring. It begins with that person begat and that person begat. And yet I want to tell you and demonstrate to you that what we find in the opening words of Matthew's gospel in the genealogy is one of the most profound demonstrations of God's grace. And we're going to see it right here in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 6, and then we're going to jump at verse 12 through verse uh, 16 or verse 17, and then we'll learn a bit about why uh, the Gospel writer Matthew put this where he put it in his Gospel. Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse uh, number 1, hear the word of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nation, Nation the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of, or is it Salmon, Uh, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Are you still with me here? You still with me? Okay, verse 12. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shetiel, and Shetiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, Abihud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azur, Azur, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Akim, Akim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Matin, Matin, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. I stood up very late practicing this, okay, and so... Um, I got through it. Amen. 
in those words, uh, thank you. Uh, in those words, we find, whether you know it or not, whether you see it or not, what we find is the scandalous grace of God. And I'm going to show it to you, what this means to read those words. Let's pray together. Lord, breathe on us, Holy Spirit. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts that we would receive everything you have for us this day. And may we be surprised by your grace, surprised by your love, surprised at the ways that you show up in our lives. We pray these things in Christ's name and everyone said, amen. amen. In the past decade, we have been fascinated with our past and learning who we are connected to. So much so that hobby experts, there are people who are called hobby experts, uh, believe that tracing your ancestors ranks second only to gardening as America's favorite hobby, America's favorite hobby. There's an estimated 15 million Americans who use the internet each month to research their family history. Genealogy websites are some of the most popular websites on the internet. Ancestry.com is among the top five paid subscription sites on the internet with over a million paid subscriptions. And there are many reasons why people look to their genealogy and look to their DNA. Many people want to know where they came from. Many people want to know who are they connected to. They want to hear stories of the people who have gone before them. And this way, it reminds me of that wonderful movie, Coco, that wonderful movie, Coco. Without going into great detail, uh, this movie highlights the Mexican holiday known as Dia de los Muertos, which is the Day of the Dead. And when I watch this movie, just about every time I watch the movie, I end up getting uh, very emotional, which is not saying much because I get emotional for a lot of things. But I watch this movie and I get emotional because the core theme of the message is that we belong to a larger story and that the people who have gone before us should not be forgotten. But in the process of examining one's family on Ancestry.com, in the process of watching a movie like this, in a process of looking at the genealogy of Jesus, what we begin to discover is this. Along the way, there's lots of family secrets. Along the way, there's a lots of hidden sins. Along the way, there are things that people tend to be ashamed of and want to hide away. And that's what we find in the genealogy of Jesus this morning. What we find is Jesus' Ancestry.com results. What do you plug in when you say, who's Jesus? These are the names that showed up, who he is connected to. And what these names reveal to us is not just who came before Jesus, what these names reveal to us is the staggering and the scandalous grace of God. On the surface, genealogies are not interesting. There's nothing exciting. When I read these words, none of you felt goosebumps. None of you said, wow, Rich, could you read that again? No, no, no. You said, please, I'm glad that's over. I'm glad that's over. On the surface, nothing's exciting or interesting about a genealogy, but a genealogy had its particular purpose, especially for public figures. In ancient times, if you were an important figure like Jesus, you would want to make sure that he was connected relationally. 
Because the genealogy in this case was to clearly show that Jesus was in the royal line of David. That he came through the royal family line of David. Why? Because the Messiah was to come through the royal family line of David. And so the genealogy is to point Jesus to a particular past. But look what Matthew's gospel writer does. What the gospel writer Matthew does. Matthew's introducing Jesus... He's kind of Jesus' PR director, his, his public relations director. He, he wants to let the world know why they should trust in Jesus, why they should look to him as the Messiah of the world, why they should look to him as the fulfillment of all of their longings, as the fulfillment of all of their desires. But what Matthew does is very interesting because the job of a public relations director is to put his candidate or her candidate in the best possible light you want to highlight all the good that they're connected to all the good that they've done all the people that they have emerged from and you want to say the reason why we should put our faith in this person our trust in this person our support in this person is because of who they are connected to and their pristine family line the opposition are the ones who tend to sabotage uh, the opponent by digging up dirt on their family. But instead of, of the opposition doing that, Matthew does it himself. Matthew's supposed to present Jesus in the best of lights, and it seems as if Matthew is trying to sabotage Jesus because of who he includes in his genealogy. Matthew includes a few people in the genealogy that would be regarded as suspect regarded as morally uh, inferior, regarded as ethically suspect. Matthew includes some men, he includes some women, but it's interesting to, to examine the women that he included in the genealogy. Number one, Matthew includes women, which is a far cry from most genealogies. Most genealogies did not include women. And when Matthew includes women in the genealogy, note who he names. He doesn't name the most virtuous women in the history of Israel. He doesn't name Sarah. He doesn't name Rebecca. He names four women who lived questionable moral lives. He lists Rahab, who was known in the Bible as being a prostitute. Ruth, Bathsheba, and Tamar. And what Jesus is doing, or what the gospel writer Matthew is doing, is he's doing something significant. He's connecting the life of Jesus to people who have been overlooked and mistreated throughout human history. Matthew includes women who were subjected often to a cultural system that took advantage of them. Women who were sexually exploited. When you look at Rahab, it's very easy to think, oh, those are the decisions that she made. And yes, while Rahab was a sinner, she was also caught in a system of sin. Rahab is not just a sinner. She's caught in a system of sin. The same thing with Bathsheba. She's caught in a system of sin. Do you remember the story of Bathsheba? Well, the story goes like this for those of us who haven't heard the story. David one day, King David, the man who has the most power in the, 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 the area, the region, the world, is looking outside of his balcony and he watches a woman bathing. 
And he says, I'm not doing anything. Uh, he has his guards call the woman into his chambers. They have a relationship together, and Bathsheba finds herself pregnant. David says, oh, no, I know exactly what to do. I know who her husband is. His name is Uriah. Uriah is fighting for David on the field when David says, Uriah, why don't you come home? The goal was to get Uriah to make love to his wife so that when she finds out she's pregnant, we can go, oh, Uriah is the father of the child. This sounds like a Maury Povich episode. <laughs> and so Uriah comes home, and David says, why don't you have some good drinks, uh, be with your wife, just have a good night. And Uriah says, why would I do that when my men are out fighting? I will not do such a thing. David says, what's wrong with you, man? You've taken this thing too seriously. And so David devises another plan. If I cannot get this guy to make love to his wife, I will have to eliminate him altogether, lest my secret come out. And so what does he do? He puts Uriah on the front lines of the battle and instructs the rest of his generals and soldiers that when the enemy comes, everyone back up so that he's alone fighting them and he will be destroyed. This is what David does. And Bathsheba is the one who's listed here. And it seems like Matthew is trying to let the world know something about Jesus, that Jesus came from a family that had lots of drama. Look what Matthew does. Actually, he doesn't want us to forget it. In, in verse chapter, in verse 6, he says, And Jesse, the father of King David, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Matthew letting us know, we've got a lot of problems in the genealogy of Jesus. And what do we find? Jesus and Matthew, the gospel writer, has a way of identifying and coming to the aid of those who have been sinned against. The people who the world erases, God exalts. God doesn't overlook them. He doesn't hide their stories. Those who have been on the receiving end of abuse, of mistreatment, find themselves exalted in the kingdom of God, finds their stories treasured in the kingdom of God. God doesn't overlook them, and some of you need to hear this word today, because some of you experience some pain. Some of you have experienced significant abuse, mistreatment in childhood, throughout your adult life. And you often wonder, does God see me? This God, you, you, maybe you've been at a job where they just discarded you like yesterday's newspaper, and you've been treated in a way that you feel absolutely marginalized and invisible, and you go, does God see me? And what we find in the genealogy are the stories that the world tends to erase, God exalts. God sees you. God knows your pain. God knows the ways that you have been mistreated and sinned against. God exalts those who the world marginalizes. Beyond that, however, or in addition to that, what we find is the scandalous grace of God showing us that Jesus Christ identifies not just with those who have been sinned against, but Jesus connects his life to those who have sinned as well. Every family has secrets. Every family has 
problems. Some of you understand this. Just three days ago, you were reminded of this, okay, for Thanksgiving. You said, oh, yeah, oh, I remember, Lord. It's fresh on my mind right now. And what happens is whenever we see sin or brokenness or shame, we want to hide. We want to lie. Why? Because when those things get out culturally, it usually leads to disassociation. This is why politicians work so hard to dig up dirt on their opponents. Because if we can just let the, the, the public know that this person comes from a shady family or has a shady past, there's going to be disassociation with them. But in the kingdom of God, we find something very staggering. That in the kingdom of God, Jesus has a way of identifying and drawing near to sinners, not away from sinners. As a wise mentor once told me, the, the, the people Jesus came from are the people Jesus came for. The people Jesus came from are the people Jesus came for. That in the kingdom of God, he doesn't distance himself from us. In the kingdom of God, he associates himself with us. And the Bible is known to have notorious sinners. In the family line of Jesus, which is, which is a good thing to remember, brothers and sisters, because when we read the Bible, we must be reminded that the Bible is not a collection of sanitized stories of people who have their act together all the time. What we find in the Bible are people who are human, broken, sinful human beings, inconsistent in their ethics up and down with their morals who need to be made righteous by a power outside of themselves. And God is the one who identifies with these people. I love how the German uh, uh, theologian Martin Luther said, he said, Christ is the kind of person who's not ashamed of sinners. In fact, he even puts them in his family tree. And so when we look at the genealogy of Jesus, when you look at those names, when you look at those names and those families and those stories, there's the grace of God written all over it. And what I want to do for the rest of my time is highlight just a few phrases to help us get at what's happening in the genealogy. And the hope is that as you hear this truth, that the Holy Spirit would do something inside of you that would make you become grateful, that would make you come alive that would make you shout for joy because of the scandalous nature of the grace of God. What does it mean that the genealogy of Jesus has all of these people in it, broken, sinful, frail, up and down, morally suspect people? It means a couple of things. Number one, it means that your mistakes are not too deep for God's grace. Somebody say amen. Your mistakes are not too deep for God's grace. Paul said it this way, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Which is to say, no matter what your sin and no matter how deep it goes, amen, God's grace goes deeper. God's love goes deeper. God's compassion goes deeper. When you look at these genealogies, you see the mistakes over and over, one generation after the next. And yet the mistakes are not too deep for the grace of God. What do we learn when we look at this genealogy? We learn that God's goodness towards you is not connected to your goodness. 
Oh, somebody got it back there. God's, God's goodness towards you is not connected to your goodness. That was another opportunity to say amen. I'll, I'll, let's try it again. Let's do this. You're, you're, it's Advent. We'll, we'll get it right. We'll get it right. Let me try it again. God's goodness towards you is not connected to your goodness. Oh, you got it. You got it. You, you got it. And if you got that in your spirit deep down, you do a backflip as well. God's goodness towards you is not connected to your good. We often live a spirituality that believes that God will be good to me if I'm good first. We have a I, I, he loves me, he loves me not kind of relationship with God. You have your flower, your, 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 uh, your whatever, uh, petals, uh, daisies, whatever. Uh, uh, Rosie, give me a flower name. I don't know. Uh, uh, daisy's fine. Okay. And so, and, and, and so, and so, you, you, so you pray that morning. You go, oh, he loves me. Then you forgot to pray for like three weeks. Oh, he loves me not. You're reading all of the Bible. I mean, you even read through the book of Leviticus. Oh, he loves me. Can't find your Bible, he loves me not. Going to church every Sunday, oh, he loves me. Haven't been in church in a long time. Oh, he loves me not. Can sing every song on cue and all that. Oh, he loves me. Messing up the song. Oh, he, 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 he loves me not. We often believe that God's goodness to us is contingent upon our goodness. And yet, the gospel writer says that he makes the sun to rise and the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. God makes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. God makes the rain to fall on those who do good and those who do evil. Why? Because God's goodness is not predicated upon our goodness. Amen. What do we learn? We learn in this genealogy that Jesus is not ashamed. To join his life to messed up sinners. We live in a world that disassociates very quickly if we find out something suspect about somebody. But Jesus is not ashamed to join his life to you. Some of you look at your life and you go, no, Jesus should be ashamed to join his life to me. You think about your inconsistencies. You think about your failures. You think about your mistakes. You think about your planned sins, amen. Some of us have some planned sins on the calendar. <laughs> some of you know what I'm talking about. And, and, yet, and, and yet Jesus is not ashamed to join his life to messed up sinners. As a matter of fact, Jesus only joins his life. To messed up sinners. If you, if you don't think you're a messed up sinner, you're missing out. Which is why when I tell people who come to New Life, if you come to New Life and you're not a messed up sinner, you're going to mess up our church. You're going to mess up our church. Why? Because our church is for messed up sinners. Say amen, somebody. Our church is for people who don't have their act together. Our church is for people who struggle from time to time. Our church is for people who one day experienced great peace and the next day is overcome with anxiety. Our church is for people who one day experiences great joy and another day is experiencing significant rage. Our church is for people who don't have it together. And if you're perfect, you're going to mess up our church. 
And so Jesus is not ashamed to join his life to mess up sinners. What do we learn about the genealogy? We learn, brothers and sisters, that out of a great mess came the great Messiah. Amen. Out of a great mess comes the great Messiah. When you look at the family history of Jesus and you take time to read the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, When you see how morally depraved some of these people were, you would think, what good can come out of their lives? What good can come out of their decisions? Try imagining uh, uh, Rahab and Ruth and, and, and Bathsheba and looking at David and Abraham. And if you were to ask them a question, I know, look at your mistakes, look at your mishaps, look at your failures. Can anything good come out of your life? They probably would look at their decisions with great shame. And yet it is out of this mess of a family that the Messiah comes. How good is this? That even in their sin, one day, these women had a son. Who would have a son? Who would have a son? Who would have a son? Who would have a son until the son of God showed up? And Jesus would come from this family, come from this history, born in a manger, grew up in Nazareth, would be crucified on a cross, raised to life on the third day, Ascended to the Father on high. Sends, amen, the Holy Spirit to fill all of the world. What good can come out of this? Lots of good can come out of this. And if great mess can come out of this story, God's out of your own mess. Great stories and a great future can emerge as well. Look at these people. Rahab was a mess. Bathsheba was a mess. Abraham was a mess. Isaac was a mess. Jacob was a mess. David was a mess. And out of all of this, the Messiah comes. God's plans are bigger than your mess. Some of you have made some mistakes that you regret. Some of you have been trapped in a bondage of, and a cycle of sin and addiction. Maybe you've, been, you've thought your entire life is a mistake. But the good news of Advent is that God's plans are so much bigger than your mess. God's bigger than your relationship mistakes. God's bigger than your sexual mistakes. God's bigger than your financial mistakes. God's grace has the last word. Not only this, God's grace is greater than anything that you've been dealt in life. Some of you are in the situation you're in, not because you made a bad decision, but because someone else made a bad decision. Because you've been on the receiving end of some pretty bad stuff. But when you look at the genealogy, we look at the grace of God that transcends and is bigger than the mess that you've been dealt. I got even greater news. God's plans for you are bigger than what your family has handed to you. And our families are a mixture of gift and mess. 
all of our families. Jesus says, whenever two or three are gathered, I'm there. Also, whenever two or three are gathered, it's a mess. And when you get a few hundred people gathering in a congregation, that's a lot of mess. And even in the mess of our families. Do you know that family patterns can be stopped in the name of Jesus? Do you know that generational sins can be stopped in his name? Do you know that you don't have to repeat the same thing generation after generation? Great-grandma had a divorce, and grandma had a divorce, and your mother had a divorce, and, and you think, I guess, I'll just, I, I, just, I guess I'll have a divorce as well. Do you know that in his name, that what the evil one meant, what, 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 what the evil one made for evil to, to kill you and destroy you, God can turn it around? Do you know that just because the previous people in your generation just because your mom and your dad and great-grandma and great-great-grandfather had particular problems and struggles that you don't have to continue that into the next generation? Do you know that the Holy Spirit is available to set the captives free? Do you know that Jesus has the last word? That's what we find here. That in his name, that in his authority, that in his power, a new future can be created. A new future is possible. A new reality can be realized in his name. And all of this has something to do with how we see each other. To be the body of Christ is to be reminded that we are a mess as well. And if God's grace has come to us, that we are called to extend it to others. Why are we the body of Christ? To, to receive the grace of God and to offer it to one another. If you come to New Life Fellowship Church, you've come to a place of struggle, of hardship, of up and down. We've come to a place where we're still working on our stuff and we're trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. We're all in the same boat together. And the genealogy is to remind us of the immense grace of God that has come to us that is to be expressed through us to the people of God around us. What we find in this story are not just names, but names that are attached to families and families that are connected to a larger story. And the question that we must ask ourselves is, if our name was on that list, what would be the story of my family, the story of my ancestors, and what you'll find over and over again from one generation to the next, no matter who you are, is from one generation to the next, what we find is human sin. What we find is human brokenness. What we find is human struggle. One generation to the next. And what we find is God's faithfulness, God's love, God's mercy, God's power to turn things around. In this Advent season, we anticipate our Lord Jesus Christ making all things new. We look forward to the day when all things will be restored. And in the process as we wait, may we receive grace for our own lives and may we offer it to the world around us. Amen.
Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, when we think about our families, when we think about our individual lives, when we think about our decisions, our inconsistencies, the questionable things that we've done, it's so easy to eliminate ourselves from your grace. Easy to think that our sin runs deeper than your grace. And yet today, we are once again reminded that no matter how deep our sin, your grace goes deeper. And so this day, Lord Jesus, may we turn to you. May we acknowledge and confess our sin. May we align our lives with you. May we receive what you freely give. And after receiving that, may we freely offer that to the world around us. Thank you, Lord, for the ways that you can change entire families. Thank you for the ways that you can transform generations. Thank you for the ways that you can heal and restore and renew. And so, Lord, we sing to you. Sing words of praise, words of gratitude, words of thanksgiving, knowing that your goodness is not contingent upon our goodness, You are good because you are good. And so we sing to you now of your goodness and we give you praise and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and let's sing in response together. Take all I have in these hands and multiply God all that I am and find my heart on the altar again. Set me on fire. Set me on fire. Let's sing that again. Take all I have. Take all I have in these hands and multiply. God, all that I am and find my heart. Altar again, set me on fire, set me on fire. Here I am. Oh uh-huh. 
Have our prayer team come to my to my right. The amazing grace of God shows up on every page in the scriptures in ways that are obvious and in ways that are surprising. And what's surprising about the grace of God is that it shows up in each and every one of our lives. The Advent season is an opportunity for us to pay attention to the presence of God to the mercy of God, the compassion of God, the grace of God, the very love of God. And maybe today as you heard God's word proclaimed and the gospel announced, maybe something was stirred inside of you. Maybe you've wondered, I am just now, have no recourse but to repeat what's happened in previous generations in mind, and the one after that, and the one after that, and the one after that. Maybe you find yourself stuck, and today you hear good news that Christ can set you free. Whatever need you came in here with, our prayer team is here. We'd love to pray for you. 
for any kind of challenge that you might be experiencing, for any kind of hopelessness that you might be enduring, for any kind of struggle that you might be going through. We'd love to pray for you. And maybe you came into our building today, maybe you're watching online, and you've never opened your heart to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never said, you know what, I want to follow Jesus. I want to receive him as Lord. I want to get baptized. Or maybe you said, yes, I've trusted Jesus, but I want to take the next step of being baptized, of aligning my life and showing that my allegiance is to him and to him alone. If something is stirring inside of your soul this day and you want to take the next step in your faith, you can come up for prayer. You can also text the phrase, yes to Jesus, to the number on the screen. 718-424-0122. And one of our pastors would love to follow up with you and have a conversation with you about what it means to follow Christ in this world, to receive him as Lord and Savior of your life. At the end of our service, we'll have a sermon discussion time. And so if you're watching, there's a few links on the screen there. Feel free to join one of our pastors as they facilitate that conversation and you get an opportunity to meet with some folks uh, for about 30 minutes. So feel free to take advantage of that. But as we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. As we mentioned in previous uh, weeks, feel free to go down to the shell room where we have some coffee and tea available and uh, feel free to meet some folks. And we just don't wanna be a crowd of people, a crowd of anonymous people in close proximity. We wanna be the family of Jesus. We want to know and get to know each other, so feel free to head down to the shell room and meet a couple of people before you head out of the building. But with your hands in your hearts, in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building and out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit, being mindful that God's grace is for you, being mindful that God's goodness is not contingent upon your goodness, being mindful that out of great mess comes the great Messiah. And may God fill you with hope, fill you with peace, fill you with joy, fill you with love in this Advent season. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the gracious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Grace and peace to you all.